In a world where it seems totally normal to listen to a podcast about the Toronto Argonauts, it's the X's and Argos podcast. Welcome to the X's and Argos pregame walkthrough brought to you by Funny Bone Broth. My name is Ben Grant, joined as always by JB. And once again, JB, for the third time, I think we can call this the biggest game of the year, but this might be the biggest game of the year in the CFL. Hamilton visits Toronto, their final of four meetings. And this one is for potentially for all the marbles in the East. And realistically, looking at the other possibilities, and we'll talk about all these potential playoff scenarios, but really the winner of this game probably wins the East. And there's been no other game in the CFL this year with that much uh, that the winner can take away from it. So a huge game this week, JB. It is uh, everything that we hoped the season would be. You know, the Argos are competitive. Um, they're able to to hold their own with Hamilton. They have not played well the last two weeks. Uh, this is going to be a huge test to see if they can bring their A game. There's going to be a lot of Hamilton fans there. Uh, Hamilton is feeling very confident. They're feeling, you know, they've got their quarterback. They got their team firing. They're mad about us ruining Thanksgiving. Uh, <laughs> this is a huge challenge. I'm, I'm really excited to see the test because I think if if the Argos can meet this, that speaks very well to their playoff chances. We've got some news and notes to get through, plus we will hit you with those playoff scenarios we talked about. There's some transactions, uh, one that's, I think, really exciting, maybe two, and we'll go through those. We have to update the injuries. It's mostly good news, and so that's to come, as well as OCDC, one thing, and of course, our world-famous predictions. That's all coming up on this episode of the X's and Argos podcast. News and notes. Let's get into it. Cordero Law was named a top performer for Week 14. Very deserving in my mind. I thought he had a great game against Ottawa. JB, I think you had him as your as your defensive player of the game with those two sacks. My question is, where is the love for Boris Beattie? He's an outstanding <laughs> performer. A week ago, he does the exact same thing this week and nothing. Well, you know, there's only so much love a kicker is going to get. So I think kickers are fine with getting a little. And that's all right, too. We don't necessarily need to pile that pressure on him. Law, Law deserved it. He, he played a great game. If, if he can be that guy, that, that changes the dynamic of the defense. If you can add in his veteran ability with the other guys coming back healthy, um, that was definitely my most exciting takeaway from the Ottawa game. So I'm, I'm all for it. Yeah, if if this defensive line, and we've got a few, we'll get into the injury report a bit later, and a couple guys coming back to it, but they, they did look last week the way that we hoped they would look. And Cordero Law, when he's on, and I don't think we've seen him just muscle guys like he did last week. And maybe it just took a few games to get going. You know, he was a little bit late to get into things due to injury. And so once he once he's firing man he's uh he's a force so we'll see what he looks like against a much better offensive line this is going to be a really tough test for him actually this week but uh yeah he's he's at least in the right place for him he's playing at his best so that's yeah, pretty exciting you don't need to get sacks you know sacks are one of the most overrated stats in football you know they're like rbis in baseball um you know pressure is what you need you need the quarterback thinking about you so I don't, you know, if they can generate pressure with Law like they did against Ottawa, I mean, they didn't, 
ring up a million sacks. So I think if they can get four man pressure, if Law can help them get four man pressure, that that's what you have to have to win in the CFL. You have to be able to get pressure with four, uh, or you're in a lot of trouble because if you have to dedicate, you know, occasionally, of course, you can blitz, but if you have to regularly do that, man, the good quarterbacks are just going to eat you alive. And we are at the stage of the season now where uh, good quarterbacks are all that really matters because you've got one this week uh, in playing Hamilton. Uh, I think you probably have a, a pretty good quarterback when you play Edmonton. <laughs> we, we, we're not going to talk about that too much right Can't now. Wait but for I, that one. Oh, man. Love I it. bet you Nick Arbuckle looks pretty good uh, on the BMO field. Uh, but we'll we'll save that for next week. And then in the playoffs, obviously, you're going to run into good quarterbacks. So, yeah, that's what matters. And so you're right. You've got to if you if you can't generate pressure with four, then you're going to get uh, picked apart by good quarterbacks because they'll, they'll know you've got a blitz. They'll know in, in passing situations, they know a blitz is coming because it has to. And the yeah, other going to be able to tear it up. Uh, the CFL this week released their official playoff scenarios. And the thing is, if Toronto can win on Friday, nothing else matters. We'll sort of do the Toronto version of this for you because we know you as, as Toronto Argonauts fans, this is why you're listening to this podcast. So the simple version, Toronto beats Hamilton, nothing else matters. Toronto clinches the East. It means they play a home game at BMO Field December 5th, the East final. And it means the the game that we're all dreading against Edmonton means nothing. So this is all the best of like so many different worlds. All of our problems go away. If only the Argonauts can beat the Tiger Cats on Friday, everything else goes away and we can all relax, enjoy the last week and a half of football. We can enjoy the first round of the playoffs, uh, take a rooting interest in, you know, whatever teams we would like to face and uh, and then get ready to cheer on the Argos December 5th. However, if Hamilton wins on Friday, then it becomes a little bit of a mess. And it's not a good scenario for Toronto at all. Because at that point, Hamilton will have the tiebreaker. It'll be two wins apiece, but they will have the point differential tiebreaker. So in order for Toronto to win the East, they would have to beat Edmonton and then hope that Hamilton loses in their season finale, which is in Hamilton, to Saskatchewan. And Further complicating this is that Saskatchewan very likely will have nothing to play for in that last week of the season because they have a game this week against Edmonton. And if they win or tie, or if Calgary loses, then Saskatchewan has wrapped up second place and a home playoff game uh, in the West against Calgary. So probably one of those things happens this week. And I think almost certainly Saskatchewan will beat Edmonton. And at that point, that's you know it basically means that Saskatchewan. There's no way Saskatchewan is going to send in their 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 tier one unit uh, to Hamilton in the final week of the season in a game that means nothing. They've got injury issues of their own. They will take that week to heal up. And if Hamilton's playing for first place, uh, you know I I can't see that result being anything other than a Hamilton win. So back to the original point in this playoff scenario, the Argos have to win on yeah, Friday. Yeah, th- this is the first game of the playoffs. Uh, I don't think there's any two ways about it. This is the first game of the playoffs. They are a much better team at home. If there's any hope of going to the Great Cup, they need to be at home for the playoffs. And, you know, they need to win this game, which is the first round of the playoffs, which then sets them up for a home field game, ideally, um, you know, against a team that had to work hard against an opponent. 
uh, and we bring him into BMO. So that, that's the way I look at it. Just, you know, it, it's not an elimination game, but it is the first round of the playoffs in almost every facet. So how the team performs will be definitely indicative of of their playoff uh, prowess. You know, I think there's it is a high pressure game and and an absolutely necessary game. There were three transactions that the Argos made this week. There may be more to come. Uh, usually along with uh, acquisitions uh, come players being released or players being moved to the injured list. And we haven't really seen that movement yet. No word yet uh, on Tristan Deku. We haven't heard about uh, Chris Edwards. And so it could be that some other moves are coming. But three signings that we can talk about at this point. So wide receiver Josh Huff, which is a really exciting signing. We'll detail in just a minute. Uh, right tackle Thaddeus Coleman, which I, I'm actually pretty excited about. And uh, Brady Sheldon, who I don't know a lot about. He's a linebacker. We'll tell you what we do know about him uh, in just a moment's time. But let's start off with Josh Huff. So this is huge. So Josh Huff, a third round draft pick of the Philadelphia Eagles, uh, a pretty established NFL player for a few years. And then he ends up uh, going to Calgary and looks great. He is also someone that is familiar with the Calgary system, Coach Dinwiddie's system. He's familiar with the verbiage and terminology. So it's not someone that's going to take a long time to get acclimated. He's been playing that X spot. And he's a guy that Calgary wouldn't have released if not for the Reggie Bagleton signing. So because they signed Reggie Bagleton, and obviously if you can, you're going to sign Reggie Bagleton. He's excellent. But they didn't have room to keep both American receivers and both guys are, are X receivers. So you look at this and you consider the fact that Deveris Daniels has been pushed inside uh, to play that W spot. Potentially having Josh Huff on the outside, he is a, a quality X receiver. And let me tell you some of the things I really like about him. So he's he, he's not, these, I guess I'm going to start with the negatives here. He, he's not the best route runner you'll ever see. He's not the fastest guy you'll ever see. But he has, he has this sort of CFL ability to get open. He's great at finding space. He's an amazing run blocker. That's probably what he does best. And I know that doesn't sound exciting. That's a huge advantage. I would love for the Argos to get better run blocking from their receivers. And, and he would automatically come in, I think, being the best run blocker, even better than, than Eric Rogers, I would say. So that's, that, that's a huge win right there. Uh, he is a talented receiver. He's got great receiving experience. But he's also a great kick returner and punt returner. He's been returning punts in, in Calgary. He was a kick returner in the NFL. He still, to this day, has the Philadelphia Eagles' longest uh, touchdown in that franchise's history at 107 yards, uh, kick return touchdown. Uh, he's just one of those guys, and it's not the... It's, he's not like a you know four two four three, possibly even four four guy, um, but he reads space really well. He's got wonderful vision. He's that's what makes him such a good receiver. But it's what makes him an outstanding kick returner and punt returner. And this year he's one of the top punt returners in the league. So that was a need, just that on its own. But then you add to the fact that you can put him out there at, at X. If we're still waiting for for Eric Rogers to return, you keep Daniels in the slot. You put Huff at X. That's a massive signing for this point in the year. Great veteran ad. And, you know, the Argos are going to need help on the outside. Running up the middle is probably not our strength. So having a guy out there who can block a bit more on the edges and, you know, widen the field on our run plays um, is good, you know, for jet sweeps. 
you know, he's a professional receiver. I, I think, I, you know, I think it's a, it's a good ad. I don't think it, you know, it's, it's a good depth ad heading into the playoffs. So I'm, you know, I, I don't think it's going to light the team on fire or anything, but, you know, I think that it's a good pickup, solid, solid, you know, GM move. I think what it allows you to do is, again, if Eric Rodgers doesn't come back uh, or doesn't come back soon, it allows you to then move Chandler Worthy over to the field side instead of having him play the X. And he, he's not a great run blocker. You have uh, on him on the other side now, and now you can actually focus on running to the boundary and really creating some advantages off of that too. Because then you have run fakes to the boundary side, receivers leaking past you know, stock blocking and then releasing. Uh, and that creates big play opportunities too. So I think there's some really cool stuff that can come out of this, this signing. And let's not forget, he was a productive receiver in Calgary. So far through nine games this year, 37 catches for 507 yards. That's that's not nothing. No, and, I mean, it's a crazy pickup to be able to get him for free right? heading into the playoffs. Uh, you know, I think it's fantastic. Yeah, I think it's as, about as exciting a signing you could have at this stage of the year. I can't think of... Any other any other person you would bring in where you'd be like, whoa, because he the fact that he also knows the system, right? Like all of that stuff, uh, everything is is a box checked. Let's talk about Thaddeus Coleman a little bit. This one I, I didn't see coming at all uh, because Thaddeus Coleman had retired as, as far as I was aware. He's 36 years old. He's played with Edmonton and Saskatchewan. And I think this is a situation where I have to imagine this is Coach McAdoo making a phone call looking around at the offensive line, seeing how they're just not the same unit since Jamal Campbell went down. And he's thinking to himself, you know, who, who do I know that is a lockdown right tackle? And Thaddeus Coleman, I, I don't know what he's been doing, uh, enjoying this this year, probably enjoying, uh, you know, watching the games and everything else, but he's, he's still going to be 6'7". And to bring in a guy like that with that sort of veteran savvy, even if it takes him a, a, you know, a week or, or two to get in some shape, at 36, to ask for four games, that's what you're looking for, I don't think is unrealistic, or however long it takes for Jamal Campbell to come back. But if it's four games all the way to the Grey Cup, um, that's something you can do. We've talked about you know, the demands on Charleston Hughes and you know how difficult it was going to be on Odell Willis earlier in, in the season when that still looked like it was a possibility, and how you have to rest guys. Well, this is the perfect scenario for a 36-year-old offensive tackle to come in for that playoff push. You can bring uh, the offensive line is definitely one of those positions where a guy can guile his way when maybe he doesn't quite have, you know, the twitch that he might have had at 28. Um, so, yeah, for sure. Bring him in. And I think having a guy like that in the room is good for, for you know, keeping the room uh, tough and, and, and ready to roll. Like, you need, you need that kind of attitude. And, you know, if... <laughs> If he's not a washout, I, I think it's, again, a nice depth signing. You know, like, you get him in there. Um, you know, you basically have him on the sidelines to bring in if guys go down in-game. And I actually wouldn't be surprised to see... This is... My prediction is that you will see the first playoff game. I, I think if Jamal Campbell's not out there, I think Thaddeus Coleman will be out there at right tackle. Um, I, I think... I'm almost 100% on that. We'll know. <laughs> I mean, the one thing about football, I mean, we'll know immediately how much gas is left in the tank. 
<laughs> yes, it won't take long to see that. And I, I think the nice thing about Thaddeus Coleman, just like we've talked about with all of these Calgary guys that have been brought in and Josh Huff, who knows Coach Dinwiddie and everything else, Thaddeus Coleman, having worked extensively with Coach McAdoo, it's not going to take him long. He's a veteran in the first place. He's a CFL veteran in the first place. And he knows his positional coach extremely well. Uh, so they're, they're not going to take long to get on the same page. Uh, he'll pick this up quickly. He's a guy that I think if you needed to, if you really needed to have him start this week at right tackle, I think he could do it. It's just, it's not ideal. But I think if there's one guy you could bring in where that could get done, he's the guy. The third signing is Brady Sheldon, and he's a linebacker that I really don't know too much about. I've just been looking him up, and, and I haven't even started the film watching process on him. To me, this looks like a signing more for next year or for an emergency scenario if if you know if there are three or four injuries to the linebacking core, because I have to think that Nate Hawley is in the plans first. He should be clearing his quarantine shortly. Uh, he, as the uh, 2019 uh, Rookie of the Year, and, you know, all the things that, that he can do and has done in the CFL, I think is probably going to be the guy you go with if you need somebody. Um, so I see this Brady Sheldon signing as a signing for the future more than anything else. But it's intriguing. He's, he's an interesting looking athlete. JB, let's do some injury uh, overview for this week. And for the first time in a long time, it's mostly good news. The, the negative is that of course, not to anyone's surprise, John White uh, did not practice. And I, I think we're just waiting for them to announce that that he'll be put on um, on injured reserve. So that's really unfortunate. We're still fingers crossed. We haven't heard a, a full update on that injury scenario. We're still hoping that, that the damage is really minor, but uh, I don't expect to see John White for the rest of the season. Now, aside from him appearing on the injury list, everyone else is really good news. We've got full practice from all those guys that were on the one game list. So that's uh, Coney Ely, Fabian Foote, DJ Foster, and all three of those guys I think will play in the game. Jamal Peters uh, seems to be over his his knee injury, has rehabbed that, and uh, he may end up uh, at, at least being dressed this week, if not starting. I think Jalen Collins has filled in really nicely, but I would like to get Jamal Peters back out there. I thought he was having a, a terrific season. And Jonathan Zamora is obviously out there. Tiggy Sanko is out there. And Alexandre Chevrier, who was uh, limited today, that's still a, a good sign. And then Brandon Calver, who was on the six-game injury list, has come off of that list, and he was a full participant in practice today. So... Finally, JB, it's the second last week of the season, but this team is finally getting healthy at the right time. Yeah, I mean, I don't know in this in the in the wild world of the CFL how much faith you can put into uh, its injury report, but uh, yeah, it, I mean, it looks good. Um, hopefully, you know, hopefully, uh, Deku and Edwards are 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 not badly hurt, and. Uh, you know, everybody Everybody seems to be getting pretty healthy. I'd love to come out and surprise Hamilton with Rodgers playing. Um, you know, I think that's that's the best-case scenario. I, I'm concerned about the running back. Um, we didn't sign a running back. And uh, maybe they know something about John White. It, it certainly looked like John White season's over. Um, but, you know, uh, I, I was surprised they didn't bring uh, a running back in, maybe they just couldn't find anybody that they thought was worth 
running through, but uh, I, I was surprised by that. I, I, I think we're going to need another running back. It, it it would really surprise me. I thought, like I said, I, I think I said on the last podcast, I guarantee they will bring in a running back this week. And uh, and yet they haven't. So that being the case, obviously, they're, they're going to go ahead with DJ Foster and AJ Ouellette this week. If uh, knock on wood, if something were to happen to one of those guys, it's not as though there aren't other options here. So uh, and without getting into like Cameron Scarlett, for example, who's on the practice squad um, from Stanford, a guy who hasn't really seen any time at all. Like, let's not forget that a lot of the guys we have as fullbacks were tailbacks in their university program. So you've got like, you know, Dion Pellerin, for example, Asnel Robo, those guys have both carried the football. They're both experienced backs. If you needed one of them to be the backup running back, and just get in there to spell. It's not a bad scenario. They're they're good. Well. In, they're they're good blockers. They're <laughs> you know they're there for passing. It's it's not like your second running back is getting a ton of carries. Like even when it's DJ Foster and John White, there've been games where DJ Foster gets like three carries. I know those are the games we lose. <laughs> a lot of them are, but it, but you can do it. It's not. I'm not saying it's an ideal <laughs> well, I, scenario. I, I, I mean, but. I know they can, but. You know, I know they're not going to be able to. I mean, it's a hard place because what are you going to do? Like, you're not going to go out and find a starting running back. If I mean, if you could, everybody would. Um, so it's it's a tough position to be in. So I, I, I hope that they have some phone numbers that they can reach out and, you know, take a shot at finding finding some lightning. You know, maybe find a guy who's got, he's got three games in him. That's all we need. I think they've obviously decided that it's not worth the, the risk that that is posed by you know one of these guys being injured isn't something that can't be addressed quickly too because unlike a lot of positions running back you can pick up fairly quickly and so that's a, a scenario where they probably feel though as though they can do that within the week if need be um, but it's not worth it for this week because again with quarantine time and everything else. Uh, they're not going to do it. And I think you're probably at that point saying, well, aren't we just best then going with one of the guys we already know? And so if the worst case scenario does come up, another running back is hurt. I think they just feel like we're, we're going to have, because remember, they, they have dressed just one running back too. So we, we remember when DJ Foster was the only running back on the roster earlier this year, and that wasn't ideal and he was exhausted, but you know, for you're going to do it if it's a playoff yeah, game. I think it makes sense. You you don't want to yeah. be teaching anybody anything this week. So, you know, get try and get this win because if you get this win, then you you know you got yourself a couple of weeks to get somebody ready. Yeah, that's it. So yeah. it's just all hands on deck. Let's focus on teaching the guys we have, not trying to bring all these other guys up to speed on every different positional group and and see if we can win this game. All right, JB, let's get to the game itself. So. This is the fourth matchup, which is such a it's such a weird season. And I can't believe that Montreal's four games against the Red Blacks and Toronto's four games against the Ticats have not somehow uh, factored in horribly to this uh, because it just doesn't look like it, no matter what happens, like it would, it would have to be a, a disaster scenario for Montreal to catch Toronto at this point. But it's turned out that this four-game series between Toronto and Hamilton has been at least as bad for Hamilton as it is for Toronto. I remember when the schedule first came out, we were saying, oh, like this is, this is the worst thing ever, having to play Hamilton four times. They were the consensus Grey Cup champions, um, according to everybody. 
Uh, and and then the two games against Winnipeg, and somehow Toronto splits those two games against Winnipeg. They're two and one right now against Hamilton. A chance to be three and one. Um, this is going to be a a really cool environment at BMO Field. So uh, I, I hope you're going. I hope everyone listening. I hope you're going there because it's going to be it's going to be an amazing environment. And the, the environment's great anyway. All the games this year have been awesome. Even when there was all the stadium spacing, and even though the crowds haven't been great, the environment it's been good it is going to be nuts this week because i know there are so many hamilton fans that are making the trip and argos fans have responded too there should be a, a good sized crowd i know just looking at the ticket sales earlier today um there are sections that appear to be sold out which is which is always promising i do think there's spacing within those sections but uh, still, that's gonna be it's gonna be awesome i can't wait for friday's game and everything's on the line like what a perfect recipe JB, it's time for your favorite section of the week. It's OCDC. Let's start off with the Hamilton Tiger Cats. I will be the offensive coordinator for Hamilton. You will be the defensive coordinator for Hamilton. Here's what I've got this week. So if I'm the Hamilton Tiger Cats, I, I first of all want to try and find a way to get Toronto's backers isolated in coverage. So I'm going to do everything I can, moving guys around. I'm going to start with receivers in the backfield, motion them out, see if you can catch Toronto in man, trying to use Toronto's rules against them, especially because there's been so much shifting around within the uh, linebacker group uh, for the Argos over the last few weeks. And even though you've got Judge and Mwamba back there, uh, things haven't been quite the same. There has been, with all this movement, you have to think there's been a little bit of simplifying uh, somewhere along the way for all these new pieces that have been brought in. Try and use Toronto's rules against them. See if you can isolate backers in coverage against receivers. And, And I think that's probably where I'm going to start and see if you can exploit some of those um, mid-range holes that I think will be there. I'm going to assume Toronto is going to come into the game hell-bent on stopping the run and trying to stop that the, the deep bomb. And so I expect the middle of the field to be there. If I can catch a speedy receiver and linebacker coverage over the middle, that's what I'm looking for. The other thing I want to do as Hamilton is I want to try and get uh, Masoli to extend the play a little bit. So I know they don't run a ton of stuff out of like pistol, but you know that's something that I, I would love to see bootlegs out of pistol. But even if it's just out of regular shotgun, uh, you know what looks like option reads, but are really just play action. Get Masoli moving to the outside to really try and extend the amount of time that Toronto's in coverage. The Toronto DBs are good, but I believe the Hamilton receivers can can win those battles if they're given time to. And so find ways to change that launch point get Masoli outside the pocket. Not because the protection's not good, but just because it now forces the DBs to cover for a few more seconds. And they've got to keep an eye on Masoli. He's not a, a speedster by any means, but uh, but he can move and he can take advantage of, uh, of open space. So that's something that I would uh, focus on as Hamilton's offensive coordinator this week. You know, if I'm Hamilton's defensive coordinator and I'm looking at that Ottawa film, like one thing, you know, becomes immediately apparent is you, you want to try and rattle the quarterback. So I'm sending a lot of pressure, a lot of stunts. Um, I'm, 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 I'm trying to get at that quarterback as much as possible. I want that clock in his head sped up. I want him throwing off balance. Um, he's, you know, not, not necessarily rolling out, which I think he's decent at. I'm keeping them in the pocket, but I'm making the pocket small uh, and and keeping him uh, having to to 
to thrill without necessarily setting his feet, getting up in his face, getting so he can't follow through. And I'm playing underneath zone and just reading eyes. And, you know, I'm Hamilton. I'm ball hawking all day. I'm just playing underneath zone, letting guys run their routes, and then watching those eyes and then jumping everything I can. I would play very aggressive. I think he's shown uh, a proclivity for turning the ball over. And I'm Hamilton. I'm more than happy to to have a quarterback like that who is not secure with the ball and, uh, you know, jump on it and, uh, you know, he, he likes to throw deep, but you know, I'm gonna I'm not gonna worry about the deep throw. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna focus on pressure and jumping underneath throws and live with whatever he can pull off on the deep throw. That's I'm willing to to sacrifice that a little because I think I'm gonna get a pick six or or two or three turnovers and that'll be enough to to win the game. So that's definitely my perspective. I'm not concerned about the run. Uh, I don't. I don't think Toronto's run game is 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 going to be much. So from a from a defensive point of view, I'm I'm pass defending all day. And if you know they beat us running for two hundred yards, well, that'll that'll surprise me. But I will tip my hat. But I'm I'm zone underneath and pressure on the quarterback. Yeah, Marshall Ferguson's got an interesting article this week on CFL.ca breaking down the Hamilton-Toronto matchup. And, you know, Marshall's awesome with all of his charts and um, and spreadsheets. And there's a lot of data there to suggest that the passing game is what's going to win the game for whoever wins it. It's not going to be through the run. And I think you could probably say that about a lot of CFL games, but the numbers really do hold true in this the three games that we've had to see so far between Toronto and Hamilton, it's the team that is able to pass the ball more efficiently that wins the game. So, yeah, I think that I think that makes sense um, in in terms of both of our plans uh, for the Hamilton side. Let's change over and coordinate for the good guys. So as the Toronto Argonauts offensive coordinator, I'm really excited about this game plan. And, and I'm really hoping that Toronto doesn't let me down with this. Last week in Ottawa, I loved all of the new stuff that we saw. And I think you're only showing new stuff against Ottawa if it's going somewhere. You're not showing new stuff against Ottawa to beat Ottawa. The the hope, you know, it turns out they needed it. But the hope would be going into the Ottawa game that you you can just beat them by being who you are. But them showing new things there, to me, means you are planting seeds. You're putting things on film that you can now use to your advantage because some of those counters that we saw last week, some of the uh, power runs that we saw, some of the search runs that we saw with the slot backs kicking out uh, defenders and and even Theron Churchill being used as a slot back to to seal an edge, to crack, to kick out. um, Those plays are new. And Hamilton undoubtedly has been looking at those this week in film because they have to. It's irresponsible if you don't. You've got to prepare for that because they're certainly in the playbook. Toronto can go to them if they want to. I, I do think we'll see a few of them, but then I'm hoping that we see action off of that. So I want to see passes off of that same counter action. I want to see uh, not only passes into the into the flats for 
you know, for the, the slot back that would typically be kicking out. Like sometimes we'll, we see this play a lot in the CFL where he'll then not kick out, but extend beyond the defensive end and then take a pass in the flats. But I want to see some gadgetry out of that. So um, use double levels, you know, pump fake to the guy in the flats and then find a deep out or a crosser over the middle. Really use Hamilton's film study against them this week in having to prepare for this stuff in a short week and now take advantage of it by putting in what they hopefully have in there is, as the sort of phase two of, of this series. So the one other thing I want to add is uh, we haven't seen Toronto run anything out of bunch. And I think that's sort of an interesting thing to, it's just not really a CFL thing. It doesn't, it takes away the advantage of your, your waggle. But I wouldn't mind seeing how Hamilton reacts to running bunch on the field side. Uh, it would be really interesting just to see them give Hamilton a different look, just to see what's there. Uh, because uh, this is not just for this game, but there's likely going to be a fifth uh, game between Toronto and Hamilton <laughs> in, in some way or other. And so seeing how they react to different formations will be part of my plan, too. So I want to run some quads. I want to run some quins. I want to run some bunch, see what they do there. And the very last thing I'll say, I know I've got a lot of things in the plan here, but I, I kind of want to force uh, Adelike to to cheat to the boundary side. Uh, I want to keep targeting Daniels like Toronto did last week. He had a ton of targets. And I want to see if they can slowly bring Adelike out of the middle of the field. And then that's where you look to light Hamilton up with a skinny post coming from the field side. So if they can get Adelike to come off his mark, to come down and try and help out on all these targets that are going to the boundary side to Daniels and whoever's out there with him at X, then, you know, that that would be that's the potential for a home run. So those are all the things in my Toronto plan for this week. Well, Hamilton is definitely the best team we've played in a month. I think that uh, Mazzoli has settled in and he's not quite MVP Mazzoli, but I think he's feeling comfortable. I think he's he's moving well. Um, Jackson is, is a decent running back. Uh, Banks looked better in the BC game. Not again, not quite what we'd seen in the past, but, you know, a little bit, you know, he, he blew through on that deep corner and guys couldn't stay with them. Um, so it's, it's going to be a big test. Uh, I think that I would probably um, spy Mazzoli. I would, I would try and uh, take away those uh, free first downs that he often gets. Um, so that's one thing I would mix in. Like, again, nothing I would do every down because that's stupid. But I would definitely mix in um, maybe Cam Judge on uh, on spying to try and uh, take away those free first downs that continue drives. And I'm looking to play deep pass coverage on first down. Uh, Mazzoli loves to air it out. Uh, I'm not again. I'm not totally worried about him. You know, sort of killing us on the underneath. I think you you want to take away those deep passes. And so I'm, I'm looking, he loves to throw that on first down. I'm, I'm looking to take away the deep pass on first down. And on second down, I am run blitzing like a SOB. And, you know, they love play action. But if you bring five guys, like who cares if it's play action? Um, my, my, my biggest concern is Jackson out of the backfield. Haven't played a lot of teams that use him. They, they used him a couple of times in BC, um, especially like, you know, basically where he ran seams and that's a danger. And just me personally, I hate running backs on linebackers. Um, you know, my, my philosophy is just, you know, let linebackers play run, let DBs play pass. 
Um, so I think that you're looking to have a DB pick that route up out of the backfield. Uh, I, I don't. I hope they don't put a, a linebacker on him. I, I don't want to see uh, a linebacker trying to catch Jackson running down the field on a seam. So, uh, you know, in terms of scheme, I, I want a safety on him coming out of the backfield, deep pass coverage on first, run blitz the house on second. It's time for one thing. My one thing this week is something that I don't normally believe in a lot, and that is gadget plays, emptying the bag. I, I'm not a believer in trick plays unless you are the inferior team. Like if you are the Ottawa Red Blacks, if you're the Edmonton Elks, then yeah, I think you should be running a couple of trick plays every game. You should have that in your arsenal because you're not the better team. Toronto's a quality team. Uh, they have a roster that can go head to head with anyone. And so I, I'm not really a fan of gadget plays, that being the case. However, if there's a game where you're going to empty the bag, uh, this is it. There's so much on the line here. Anything that Coach Dinwiddie has been saving up this year, I want to see out there on the field. So everything from double passes to flea flickers to fake punts to fake field goals. Uh, I, I want to see it out there. If the, Obviously, if the situation dictates, I don't want it to be forced. But I just want to feel like at the end of the game, regardless of the result, I want to feel like they did everything they possibly could to win this game. And, you know, hopefully it works out. But even if it doesn't, that you didn't leave anything, that you didn't, you know, you're like, oh, man, if only we'd use this or wouldn't this have been a good play to use here? Um, I, I don't want any of that. So bring it out. Let's see some of that stuff uh, for, for this game. <laughs> I, I agree if you have something locked because the downside is running a trick play that doesn't work is like standing in the middle of the field with your pants down. You look like such an idiot, and it's so deflating and embarrassing. Um, you know, I think it's, it's such it's such a high reward, high penalty move. You get it. Everybody's jumping up and down. You've been working on this in practice. We got them. Gives great juice to the team. Falls apart. You look embarrassing. Um, so I, I think, yes, if they have something absolutely locked that they've been working on all season. <laughs> um, you, I mean, man, you watch the NFL now. There's probably two double passes a game. You know, it, it absolutely has taken off as as a legit, uh, I mean, move, almost moving out of gadget into a legitimate wrinkle like a jet sweep it's like okay jet sweep middle run double pass it's a way to keep defenses honest yeah i i always wondered as a defensive coordinator i'm like why 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 doesn't the running back throw the ball like you know i mean the whole world you you teach the whole world to pursue um so yeah i think it's i think it's smart i think it, it slows down teams pursuit and if they're wary of it so yeah I think it'd be great. I think the crowd would go bananas. I love it. I love it as a move. Just, man, you better friggin' get it. Where are you going with your one thing? I, I, I don't know. I, I mean, my no turnovers did not turn out well <laughs> last time I hoped for it. So I'm a little bit wary. Um, you know, I, I, I would still love to see a pick six. But I'm going to go here offensive again um, and Chandler Worthy. I'd really like to see Chandler Worthy have five targets i feel like he is somebody we can jet sweep with um bubble screen reverses 
Uh, he's a guy that can widen the field, slows down pass rush, gives everybody a moment of pause. Uh, I'd like to see him become a, a, a factor on on the on the offense, and to be honest, take some of those Anderson touches and give them the worthy. You're just talking about like defenses reacting to things too. You're seeing a lot of things now in the NFL where you will use pulling guards against defenses too. So, you know, have that jet action come up, uh, come across with a pulling guard and then go the other way with something and really test the discipline of those those much Yeah, I backers. think that's what you want to do. I think what you you know, from a defensive point of view, the best thing a team can do is never challenge your rules. And you love that. Like, you just line it up and we're just going to play ball. Like, a defense will take that all day. Defenses hate having to cover the whole field. And, you know, you have you have movement, you have fakes, you have misdirection. Absolutely, you need to have that involved. I mean, I love how Hamilton runs play action on 80% of their plays, seemingly. Um, you know, I, I, I think that's great. I think that's... That should be an absolute standard that you should be looking to do, to do way more misdirection with Macbeth. I don't think you, I don't think the Argos are doing him any favors, not stretching the field, not making the defenders have to respect, uh, you know, outside run or the edges. Um, you know, I, I think you want to. I think we want to vary up our offense to keep keep the defense off balance. When a defense is balanced and is dictating to you what the play is going to be that's that's when you start getting into real problems you got you have to dictate to the defense you have to keep the defense i'd love to see um you know and i know this is all the stuff we're talking about but i'd love to see some more hurry up um you know i think most quarterbacks are better and Macbeth is no different in when it comes to hurry up i'd love to see a little more hurry up mixed in um you know i don't want them to lose faith in him you know, we're, I mean, hey, we're all in, man. It's going to be what it's going to be. So, you know, let the guy cook. And if he turns it over five times, then, you know, that is what it is. But we're, you know, we are pot committed. Time for our predictions, JB. So uh, I'll go first. I trust that you're not going to just copy mine. I, I'm i nervous about this game. And ultimately, I decided I will go back to my preseason prediction with this because that has been it's been the most correct thing I have done all year we, we, I know we didn't even need to run the damn season I know our preseason predictions have been so like I, I think we've got two wrong all year which is is insane and here we are uh, I'm starting to doubt things because I know Toronto has not looked good the last couple of weeks they really should have lost to BC they almost lost to, to Ottawa and Hamilton's been looking very good. They, they've had a couple good games in a row. And so I, I'm nervous. But it's at BMO. Uh, the Argos have not lost at BMO in a long, long time. And my preseason prediction was Toronto winning this game. So I will stick with that. And I think it's going to be a tight one. I think, I think this is either a made or missed field goal at the buzzer. Kind of like last time. But this is Toronto 20, Hamilton 18. Oh, well, uh, mine is similar, uh, but I think it's going to be a higher scoring game. Uh, I have Toronto 28, Hamilton 25. Uh, I, I'm with you too. I think there's no chance this game does not come down to a field goal. Um, it's it's going to be, 
Yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be a fantastic test for every aspect of of the Argos. I mean, I thought Coach Don Brown, he had such a great line the other day about uh, football will introduce you to yourself. And I think that this game is going to introduce us to who the Toronto Argonauts are. So I'm, I'm really excited to see who they are. That will just about do it for us on this episode of the X's and Argos pregame walkthrough. Don't forget to check out the scouting report, which will come out a little bit later this week. I've got Kyle Mello in, uh, substituting for Marshall Ferguson to give us uh, a fresh perspective on the Hamilton Tiger Cats. And as always, you can find all of our stuff at xsandargos.com. And if you want the podcast to appear right there on your phone, make sure you subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. For JB, this is Ben Grant saying so long, and may all your pre-snap reads be good ones. I'll see ya.